0: Let me give you some thoughts on it first and just draw your attention to it. Let's turn. What page is it? 1145. Uh, just before Rudy reads it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to notice some things. Um, right. If you look at the paragraphs, you've got the first paragraph, which is um, about us not being infants. The next paragraph. Verses 5 to 9 is that we are God's field. All right. God the Father's field. The next paragraph, verses 10 to 15, is that we're the building upon which the foundation, verse 11, the only foundation is Jesus Christ. So the field of God, the foundation of Jesus Christ, and then the next paragraph, 16 and 17, the temple which God's Spirit lives in us. So here we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit making the church the church. Thank you, Rudy.
1: Good morning, everybody. Chapter 3 is headed up on divisions in the church brothers i could not address you as spiritual but as worldly mere infants in christ i gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready you are still worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not worldly are you not acting like mere men for one for when one says i follow paul and, and another i follow apollos Are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the sea, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God, who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters Have one purpose, and each will be will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me. I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each, one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. This is the word of God.
0: Are you happy to pray now, Nicky? Yeah. you very much they're mine thank you yes yeah thank you very much thank you we're going to sing great is thy faithfulness and um Then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 3. Let's stand and sing. your seats and turn to 1 Corinthians. When I was thinking about what I should preach on this morning, the next section of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 2, I was thinking, well, maybe I should preach the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Now, that'd be interesting. It's very important you understand the structure of a book. If you uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter, well, after the introduction. Uh, the rest of chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and into chapter four. It's all about the cross. Paul says he wants to know nothing amongst you except like Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He preaches the message of the cross, foolishness to those who don't believe, but to us the wisdom of God. So that's the beginning. And if you go to the end, you've got a really long chapter, chapter fifteen, which is all about the resurrection. That the the gospel is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If he's not been risen from the dead, then Christianity isn't true. If you want to disprove Christianity, if you want to disprove Christianity, you look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to prove Christianity, you look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to experience the power of Christianity, you go to the cross. And you've got these two great sections, the beginning and the end of 1 Corinthians, on the cross and the resurrection then right in the very middle we have really odd chapters chapters um seven eight and nine which are all about relating to the culture paul says although he has the right to do this he doesn't do this and 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 these kind of things and and it's how to be a christian in a pagan world and either side after the Song of the Cross and the song before the song of the resurrection. Before the middle section, two bits. The first is all on pagan worship food, sacrifice to idols, and um, temple prostitutes, and that kind of thing. And this end is all about so that's about sub Christian worship. And then chapters 12, 13, 14 all about supra Christian worship about those who are excessive on spiritual gifts. Very interesting how it all fits together. But I decided not to preach in the whole book of uh, 1 Corinthians. Just do that as an introduction. And look at chapter 3 about divisions in the church. Because the greatest sin, I think, in the Christian church is divisions in the church. Jesus, just before he was crucified, he prayed that the church would be one. And he prayed that the church would be one so that they would see the glory of God and that the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the devil is so hostile to church unity. And we see that the church is divided because of two things. Sin, obviously, and immaturity. And that's what 1 Corinthians 3 is all about. It's about immaturity and... um, telling us how we must be growing continually, because as soon as we stop growing, we start being immature. And in verses 1 to 4, he gives us the evidence of immaturity, how we know these Corinthians were immature. And then in the chapters uh, 3, verses 5 to 17, he gives us a mature understanding of the church, how to think maturely. So let's look at verses 1 to 4, the evidence of immaturity and there are two ways that we know if christians are immature first of all is their relationship with each other and secondly their relationship with their leaders let's look at verse well let me read from verse one to verse three brothers i could not address you as spiritual but as worldly mere infants in christ i gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready. You are worldly. For, here's proof that they're infants, they're immature, they're worldly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men, as unconverted people? Have you ever seen kiddies playing with their toys? And one's quite happy with a toy? And then the other kitty gets a toy. So this one's not happy with his toy anymore. He wants that toy. And he goes and he takes that toy off. And, and there's third world war on the sitting room floor. Simply because they're jealous of what the other person's got. And in the Christian life we can be so jealous of what other people have got. So threatened by them. So immature. We can be jealous of their gifts. Jealous of their authority. Jealous of the respect in which they have. And um. In my family, when I was growing up, one of my siblings wouldn't eat with us for nearly two years. Would eat in his bedroom. Wasn't going to associate with the rest of us. It was awful. It was just, just this immaturity. The friction that is there. We, we've got to deal with the friction and with funeral uh, um, quarrels. I took a funeral and I asked the guy, where was the reception going to be afterwards? The wake. He said, we're not going to have one. I said, oh, that's odd. He said, yes, we had a wedding in the family last year and we got all the relatives together and after the wedding, there was a (laughs) punch-up. So we're not going to have any uh, reception after the funeral because there's so many quarrels in the uh, family. Um, I thought that was a bit extreme and so I was taking the funeral service and they sat in the four different corners, the, the different relatives, so they're far away from each other as I could. And as I was reading the uh, tribute that had been written, people sitting over here started heckling because they didn't like what I was saying. Horrendous quarrels in the family, bickering, fighting. They needed to grow up. And Paul says, you know that you are immature. You're you're just like non-Christians when there's this jealousy and this um, quarreling, Amongst you, we should be quite the opposite. We should be making sure that we are glad other people have gifts, and we should be working towards peace and harmony, not quarrelling. So there's, we know we're immature because of our relationship with each other and with our leaders. Verse four, four, another one. One says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos." Are you not mere men? Paul uses himself and he uses Apollos' name because he doesn't want to actually name the people. He uses them as um, code names. Everybody knows who the tensions are in the church, but he uses people's names. He's saying how stupid it is just to follow people. And yet, how many people have an evangelical pope? You know, maybe Billy Graham... Maybe Lloyd-Jones, maybe Calvin, maybe Wesley. And they agree with everything they said. And so they're totally against those who aren't exactly like these people. And our immaturity is because we can follow this man, and so we reject that man. (laughs) And that is just causing division, causing splits. When we set up our leaders as instead of following Christ, we're following men and We've got to learn from everybody who God raises up. Not everyone has all the gifts. We've got to uh, benefit from everybody's gifts, every gift that God gives us. We need to grow then. How do we grow? And this is what we see in verses 5 to 17. The mature understanding of the church. And here, it's as if the Apostle Paul gives us a pair of glasses. So when we look at the church... What we see are not either leaders we like or leaders we don't like. Leaders we're going to follow even if (laughs) they're preaching heresy and and leaders we're going to reject whatever because we just don't like them and people we're going to be falling out with and, and, and forming our own little cliques. None of that. Put your glasses on and see the church as Jesus Christ sees it. First of all, you are God's... Field. Look at verses 5 to 9. It's important to recognize that the field is the church because in some of the parables of Jesus, the field is the world and you get muddled up. The field is the church. Verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants... Nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be re- rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. You are God's field. I don't know if you like gardening. How many people are good at gardening? Can see some who are good at gardening? Look in the mirror, see some who are bad in gardening. Caroline's good at gardening. Where's Caroline? I can't see you anyhow. I see you right in the middle. There you are. Caroline watches Monty Don on the telly. And then she goes to the shop and buys the right plants. And then she comes and she digs a hole and she puts some bone marrow or something in it. And then she puts the um, plant in. And then she puts the soil around it. And then she presses it in just the right distance. And then she says to me, Go and get the watering can. And I go and get the watering can and I do the watering. And so together we make a great job doing the gardening. Well, Paul says he planted. He was the missionary. He went uh, as a pioneer evangelist and he he did evangelism and he baptized these new converts. And then the apostle, uh, uh, then Apollos came along and he did the watering. He discipled them. He gave them pastoral care. He uh, helped them work through their baggage, and got the church organized and trained the leaders and everything. We need both, don't we? We need those who are pioneer missionaries and we need those who are going to be pastors. And Paul says that he was the one who planted and Apollos was the one who did the watering. But, look at verse 7. Without God, Nothing. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. These people without God are nothing. And look at verse 8. They're answerable to God. Verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one person, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. When he says we're God's fellow workers, it doesn't mean that God and him <laughs> to work hand in hand. He's saying that Paul and Apollos are under God, fellow workers for God. They're God's fellow workers, answerable to God. And our responsibility is to grow fruitful. As a church, we're a field, and we need some people to plant us, Some people to water us, but we need God to enable us to grow so that we be fruitful. That's what we've got to be. Secondly, we're not a field, we're a building. This is the next paragraph. The last two words of of verse 9 are God's building. And then verses 10 to 15 describe God's building. Now, it's not the temple. The temple is coming in verses 16 and 17. So this is probably a palace. This is a home God's building. And he tells us in verses 10 and 11 that our only foundation is Jesus Christ. Look at verses 10 and 11. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation for the church. We're going to be a building for God. We've got to have a right foundation. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul decided that he was going to be the foundation for the church in Corinth? He was going to be the foundation. Now you're going to build on the Apostle Paul. You're going to have uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. (laughs) The church of St. Paul in uh, Corinth. I mean, how worthless would that be? Could the Apostle Paul save them? Had the Apostle Paul shed his blood for them? Had the Apostle Paul risen from the dead for them? Had the Apostle Paul defeated Satan for them? Could the Apostle Paul give them salvation? Could the Apostle Paul make them right with God? No, not at all. It would be pathetic, wouldn't it? What about the church of the Archangel Michael? Could we have the church of the Archangel? Can the Archangel save us? Can the archangel give his life to save us? No, not at all. Hopeless. What about Mohammed, Buddha, all these others? Use only Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save us. This is why we preach Jesus Christ. This is why it's the church of Jesus Christ, why we baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ, and why holiness is living like Jesus Christ. It's only Christ. It's not we're saved by Christ. It's all of Christ. Uh, Too often we, we get people in the way and it's not the only foundation is Jesus Christ. And if you read verses 12 to 14, you'll see that our building materials on this foundation have to be fire resistant. Look at verses 12 to 15. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved but only as one escaping through flames. Our building materials must be fire Resistant. When I uh, was 19, I went to work in French West Africa, Niger, and it was the poorest country in the world when I went there. And it was horrendously poor. There was starvation everywhere. And there was one doctor who came to the city of Moradi, which was a city of uh, a million people where I lived. There was one doctor who came for one Wednesday afternoon every other week and that was all the medical help for a million people and you know they would bring dying people because we were missionaries they thought we could help people they would bring them dying to our doorstep for us to you know pray with them and that was it but the thing is their houses they they had mobile homes i saw a person carrying his home You see, the wall of the house was just sticks about this high, just sticks all uh, tied together. And he had rolled the wall up into a great big bundle of sticks that he had on his back. And the roof was just a conical, a cone of uh, reeds, like like straw. And he was wearing it like a great big Chinaman's hat. (laughs) and and you could just see these little feet (laughs) with this great big roof uh, almost touching the ground from his head, and he had all the sticks in his bag, and his home was made of just wood and straw. And every year he would need to build a new home because when the weather turned bad, which wasn't much, but it was uh, enough to just wreck the house, he would build another one the next year. It wouldn't last. And one spark, one spark, and that house was destroyed. The temple of God in Jerusalem was made of stone, massive stone, covered with gold. You couldn't budge a stone. If you put all your weight against it, you couldn't budge it. It was solid And the Apostle Paul is saying that the church of Jesus Christ is not to be wood, hay, and stubble. That doesn't last. It's here this year, but next year it's it's gone. That was a sparkle destroyed. No, it's got to be something solid, lasting. It's stone. He says it's got to be made of gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, why doesn't he say gold, silver, and bronze? Whenever we were talking, we would say gold, silver, and bronze, wouldn't we? The reason he doesn't say gold, silver, and bronze... ...the reason he says gold, silver, and precious stones... ...is because he's thinking of the tabernacle. Or... If you read, you know, the the Old Testament about the tabernacle... ...you will realize that bronze is what touches the ground, the earth. So you would have silver poles in bronze or brass sockets. Everything that was brass touched the ground... It was the picture of this world. And then the silver and the gold was the picture of God's presence heaven. So if you go into the Holy of Holies, it's all gold. If you go out into outside into the court, you've got the, the brass altar. That's for this world. And then in the uh, holy place, you've got the gold altar. Gold and silver is the picture of heaven. And precious stones is what the high priest would wear on his ephod. It's all a picture of heaven. And he says, the church has got to be spiritual. It's got to be a picture of heaven. It's got to be fire resistant. Nothing that's going to be destroyed. So we are God's field. We're God's building. And finally, verses 16 and 17, we are God's temple and for years and years when people just read the english they didn't know that in the greek the you isn't singular it's plural don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit lives in you all if anyone destroys god's temple it's not talking about suicide talking about destroying the church god will destroy him for god's temple is sacred and you are that not only God's field where God gives the growth not only the temple uh, the, the building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ but now we're God's temple in which the spirit of God lives what does it mean? it says God will destroy you verse 17 if anyone destroys God's temple God will destroy him does that mean if you destroy the church of God going to go to hell no. <laughs> no it doesn't mean that thankfully God's temple is never going to be cast into hell what it means is this is to destroy thinking about a piece of cloth that is destroyed by moth or or, or rot uh, and it's ruined uh, it's corrupted uh, and the Apostle Paul is saying that if you wreck and ruin the church of God, then you will reap what you sow. It's really, really serious. We've got to be mature in the way we look at the church of God. This is not something we can play around with. To tear the bride of Christ apart is a horrendous sin. And the church is God's field. It is Christ's building. It is the Holy Spirit's temple. And if we think we are more important than the gospel and more important than God and we destroy the temple, then we are going to reap what we sow. And the day will reveal it is very, very serious. So how does a person destroy God's temple? Well, how does a dad destroy his family? There are two ways a dad destroys a family. One is actively and the other is passively. There are some dads who are so abusive, they are so manipulative, they are so oppressive, they are so demanding that they just they just crush they are overbearing, overwhelming, and they just destroy the family and there are some Christians who are like that, they are just so overbearing they're right everything's got to be done their way it's got to be done for them and there are other dads who just walk away and desert the family just leave it to collapse just, just do nothing and there are two cu- kinds of ways that we can destroy the church of Jesus Christ either by uh, abusive uh, overbearing hostility or by just doing nothing just walking away and and washing our hands of it. So let's draw some conclusions. What should we do? Well, first of all, verse 1. Don't be immature. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Let's not be mere infants. Let's grow. Secondly, verse 6. Let's use our gifts. Verse 6. I planted the seed... Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Don't just sit there and say, well, let's wait for God to work. We've got our different gifts, our different responsibilities. Let's make sure we're using our gifts. Verse 10, let's make sure we're wise. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. Let's make sure we're not only using our gifts, But we're using our gifts wisely. And then finally, verse 16, let's make sure we're filled with the Spirit. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? I was watching Billy Graham's funeral and I heard the um, evangelist from the Middle East saying that as a young evangelist, he was over... uh, and he was talking to uh, Ruth Graham. And she said, have you met Billy? And he said, oh, no, I'm just a little nothing. I don't have any right to talk to him. And Mrs. Graham said, come and see. And he hadn't shut the door to his office. And so she just opened the door a little bit. And she saw Billy Graham on, the, on his face, on the ground, praying to God to bless the preaching he was going to do later. Billy Graham realized he couldn't do it with all his gifts, with all his learning, with all his uh, natural talents. He couldn't do it. He needed God. And as a church, we have lots of gifted people, but unless we have the fullness of the Spirit, we won't succeed. Stuart Briscoe was a young evangelist in Manchester and he was reaching young people. He had a group, maybe up to a thousand young people meeting and yet he hated the local church. He couldn't stand the local church because it was so boring, it was so dull, it was full of old uh, people and he didn't want anything to do with the church. And someone said to him, Stuart, do you love Jesus Christ? Oh yes, I love Jesus Christ. Do you love the church? No, I can't stand the church. And this person said to him, Stuart, does Jesus Christ love the church? He said, yeah. Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he shed his blood for the church. And that revolutionized Stuart Briscoe's understanding. Jesus Christ loves the church. We must love the church. We must value it. It is God's field. God's fa- building, God's temple. Well, if we look at 1 Peter 2 next week, we will see more about this, that we are living stones being built into the temple. But you'll have to come back next week for that. But I don't know, But just before we sing, are there any questions? I said we could have some question time. And these are incredibly serious. They're frightening verses, aren't they? You know, if God's going to destroy those who destroyed the church. It's very frightening. Any questions? Yes, John? Say that a bit louder. All right, so how we can be filled with the Spirit as a church. Well, I think the first way in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to focus upon Jesus Christ. If you read Zechariah chapter 3, where the filthy garments are taken off the high priest, the next chapter we find the uh, lampstand, the oil burning lampstand in the temple and it is fed by the um, olive trees representing uh, Zechariah, the leader, governor, and Joshua, the high priest. And what, what Zechariah is saying is if you want the oil of the spirit to burn in the people of God, it comes from the king and the priest. And if we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We focus on Jesus Christ, our King and our Priest, our Lord and our Saviour. And as we focus on Jesus Christ, exalt Jesus Christ, so the Holy Spirit flows into our lives and enables us to glorify Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. If you focus on the Holy Spirit, that's okay. But if you want to receive the Holy Spirit... You focus on Jesus. You read those verses in Zechariah. Very interesting. The oil flows from these two uh, olive trees, one representing the king and the other representing the priest. So how we be filled with the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, imitate Jesus Christ, focus upon Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Um, The Holy Spirit isn't here so that we can just have a nice time. The Holy Spirit is here so that we can effectively be fruitful. In the way a soldier puts on his armor, a soldier puts on his armor not so that he looks good in his armor, but so that he can fight to win. And the Holy Spirit is given to us not so that we can look spiritual, but so that we can win the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So focus on Jesus Christ, imitate Jesus Christ, and you will be being filled with the Spirit. Anything else? Shout a bit louder, Melvin. Yes, that's right. You you look to Jesus Christ, and you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. You don't look to the Spirit to receive the Spirit, you look to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. let's sing Um, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness pray, you know in Ephesians 5 it says be filled with the Spirit, singing songs, psalms, hymns, etc. In Colossians, what does it say? It says let the word of God dwell in you richly, the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be filled with the Spirit, word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Word and Spirit go together. Let's never separate them. Let's pray. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and remain with us. And may we grow to maturity, not uh, being quarreling and jealous amongst ourselves, not choosing certain leaders and rejecting others, but seeing Christ, Christ as head of the church, And may we see ourselves as uh, your field needing to be watered so that we can produce fruit for your glory. May we see ourselves as your building built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. No other foundation. And may we see ourselves as your temple indwelt by your spirit to produce spiritual fruit for your glory and honor.
1: Amen.